That last person was uh, my wife, Becky, and uh, she wanted, I think it's important to explain what this series is about. I think it's very important. I think fear is a huge killer of us spiritually and even physically and emotionally and relationally. But, but what we're talking about in overcoming fear and, and, and seeing what God's word says about it, it isn't about never feeling fear again. So immediately after Becky said that, I quit fear. She said, I walked out of the room and I had all these fears. <laughs> Am I going to look stupid? Was I lying? Was, you know, and all these things. And, and, and that, that's fear. When we're talking about overcoming fear, we're not saying you're never going to feel that feeling again. We're saying in the face of fear, we're, we're going to do what's right and we're going to fix our mind on what's true and not the lies that fear wants to whisper. And that's what courage is. Courage is doing the right thing in the face of fear. It's not, it's not not having fear at all. And so that's what we're talking about. But before we start with that, I just want to let you know that we know and I know. So I'm one of 11 pastors. My name is Bob Kedlisic. I usually preach over in Montrose. And Aaron is over there now. And one of the reasons we did that was so that he could be online and we have an online um, service, and it's at bridgewater.church, and you can watch it there. And, and so the goal of him being online is so that anybody who's in Vestal watching online will hear him preach and say, I could handle that and show up in person. Because church is not a great speech or even a half-decent speech and a couple good songs every Sunday. Church is a spiritual family. And we want people to be a part of a spiritual family. So our online pastor even talks to people in Florida and other places and says, hey, is there a good church in your area? It doesn't have to be called Bridgewater. Like, do they preach God's word? You should go there. Uh, but some people are shut in. A lot of people met one of the greeters at the door. He said, the first exposure I had was to watch online. It's kind of like our, our porch of our church. And a lot of people will be like, yeah, I'm real nervous about going to this cult, you know. <laughs> These Christians, I don't know, you know. But I'll watch online. And then they watch online. And like, oh, that wasn't too bad. Maybe I could accept my friend's invitation and show here. But anyway, all that to say, that's why he's over there. That's why I'm here. And, but I want you to know, 11 pastors at Bridgewater, and we are just thrilled that Aaron is one of them. He is one of the best pastors I've ever met. One of the best I've ever met, let alone have the privilege to work with. And so it is just awesome that, that he's here. And, you know, I have a slide of uh, Broome County. It's about 200,000 people in Broome County. And, um, and this kind of shows what we all know, Christianity is on the decline in America. And there are all sorts of things along with that that are on the decline. Um, bad things are on the rise. Suicide is on the rise. Uh, uh, mental illness is on the rise. Um, all sorts of negative things, divorce and, and, and drugs and all this stuff is on the rise. And Christianity is on the decline. And you can see that there. I, I remember being at a prayer meeting at a Calvary Community Church on Harry L. Drive about 25 years ago, a bunch of people would meet for prayer for about an hour. They'd pray for an hour straight, and uh, I'd go over occasionally. And one of the pastors there, there's a lot of great guys that were there that I got to meet. Doug Hill, if any of you know him, Pastor Doug. But one of the guys there, one of the prayers he would pray is, Lord, I just pray that there would be your Holy Spirit would come into Broome County like a tide. 
And when a tide comes in, all the boats rise. You know, if there's churches that are teaching God, there's, there's churches that don't teach God's word. You know, there's churches in my little community of Montrose. There was a pastor that I was talking with him and found out that not only did he not believe hell existed, but he didn't believe heaven existed either. Or he wasn't sure. That was a maybe. I'm like, why are you a pastor? This doesn't make any sense. And so I'm not talking about those kinds of churches, but churches that teach God's word. Man, when the tide comes in, when the Holy Spirit starts to move, all boats rise with the tide. And that's what this next statistic shows. This is decades. So 80s, 90s, 2000, 2010, 2020s. There is a movement of God that is starting in this county. And it's not, it's not what it's been in the past. It's something different. And this isn't just us, Bridgewater. This is two rivers. This is Berean. Baptist Church. This is, this is a New Life Church in Endicott. This is something different and new that God is doing. Do you, you probably know this, but there's been over a dozen people saved here in Vestal this year alone. And almost all of them have been adults, grown men and women giving their lives to Christ and coming with all this junk and baggage and saying, God, God, you just take all that. And, and you know what God's doing in Vestal, I want to ask I've been meaning to ask Aaron this. Like, is this normal for you? Like, is this what was going on in Kansas City? Like, because this is amazing. And you know what? I, I see it in Montrose as well. We, we baptized yesterday. There was a baptism outside, and it was freezing. I'm glad I just coached the guy baptizing the, the individual through it. I didn't have to get in the water. But that was the 20th baptism in Montrose this year. If we have 26 this year, and we've got 20, and it's April. If we make 26, we will break a record and push back. The, the next record was 1913, 41 were baptized. And, and so God is, is working. And then over in Halstead, I mean, all of our campuses, Tunkhannock, they're in a room half this size, and they, they have like 300-some people coming every week, and they need a new building. And in Halstead, about a quarter of everybody who comes, the hundreds of people who come, about a quarter of them are under 12. You know, and, and just reaching young families and children and ministering. And it is just awesome. God is on the move, and he wants to use you. And he is using you. And Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not withstand it. Do not prevail against it. Gates don't march. He's saying we're marching. The church is marching on the gates of hell and they won't hold. But you're an idiot if you march on the gates of hell alone. Right? That's why we need each other. That's why we need this, right? Gather, gathering together, encouraging each other so that we can take more ground for God. And so we're, that's just the big picture thing. We're talking about fear this week, and I have a, a picture actually of fear right here. I don't know if you've actually seen fear, but this is an um, engorged female tick with eggs, okay? And uh, the only reason God created these creatures was for this sermon illustration, <laughs> Because that's what fear looks like. It's ugly, it weakens you, it sickens you, literally does weaken you physically. It destroys relationships, it kills. And go to the next slide because it's just ugly to look at. All right, we will get to the verse eventually. But, but, and, and so here's this series that, that, that we're doing about, about overcoming fear. 
is just so important. And I just want to encourage you, this is not multiple choice. So last week, Pastor Aaron talked about a bunch of things about how to overcome fear. If you missed it, you can go online and listen to that podcast. Um, go to bridgewater.church. I don't know, find it, figure it out. Um, it's probably, he probably posted something on Facebook, a link to it. But um, um, this, this is not multiple choice. He talked about, you know, you overcome fear by confronting the lies of fear. And, and so often we easily believe those lies. And then next two weeks, he's going to talk about some other things. And some of them I've never even seen in a self-help book. Um, but ways to overcome fear that we, we don't often think of. I think next two weeks are even better than these first two. This, this is not like, oh, I'm going to pick that way um, because that's an easy one. I think to overcome fear, we have to like level all the guns on it. And, and so if you struggle with fear or you know someone who struggles with fear, you need to make a commitment to be here every week for the final two weeks and, and to pick up what you, you missed off. But um, So we're talking about um, fear. There's a card on all your seats, and there's a pen in front of you unless you're in the front row. If you're in the front row and need a pen, I have one. All right. There you go. All right. So what I want you to do on this card is to write down your greatest fears. And if you just have one, that's fine, but you need to have at least one and you need to prioritize and have the big one somewhere, okay? So what is, because as we go through the message today, I want you to think about that fear. Okay, yeah, I, I see a couple talking who uh, it's not enough space for her fears, probably. That's our, you know, just, just prioritize. And um, think what, even me, I am not a big fear person, but um, anxiety, worry, stress. Um, there's been times in my life where I've been incredibly stressed, and why? In fact, before I preach, I, I am stressed a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous and stressed. Why? Because I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to say something stupid. I'm afraid, what, whatever, I'm going to blank out and just have this awkward silence. And, um, but so just write, write down what your fear is. And as we go through this, this is what you need to be thinking about. How do you, how do you overcome that fear? So here's the story in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And so the, the story is back in Exodus, they were slaves. Israel was slaves in Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt, delivered them. And, um, and uh, verse 3 goes on with the story. It says, The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire community to death. And so they, they were slaves. God set them free. But they're out in a desert and they have nothing to eat. At this point, probably some of them, maybe most of them, hadn't eaten in days. And, and this is okay for some of us grown-ups, but there's a lot of children here, and parents are worried, and they're like, what, what is the plan? And they're grumbling against Moses. And so then verse 4 says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out and eat each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. So this, this is provision, but this is also a test. Keep that in mind. Verse 5, it says, On the sixth day, they're to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on other days. And so verse, the next verse, it says, So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you'll know that it was the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. And so this is the plan. 
the, the number of Israelites that left Egypt, because they number the men later on, and it's hundreds of thousands, over half a million men. So you're talking about it could be upwards to two million people. How do you give meat and bread to two million people in the desert that have none? It's impossible. Well, God is saying, like, there's no way. And so the next verse as we go on, it says, And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he's heard your grumbling against him. What are we that you should grumble against us? This is something with your fears and anxieties and worries. They might be around maybe your boss. Maybe your boss is a jerk, okay? And that's putting it mildly. Maybe you have a neighbor who just you're just all worried about and anxious about because there's some dispute going on. Maybe it's a family member who's sitting right next to you right now, and so you couldn't write their name down on the card. Okay, you're writing it in code, you know. Like the first letter, okay, that's too obvious. Uh, you know, how do you... And, and, you know, the things that make us anxious and worried and stressed and afraid about, we often complain about. And we need to recognize that, that the ultimately who we're complaining against isn't just that person. We're complaining against God. Because when I say, oh, my coworker is such a that errand. So frustrating. So, you know, what, you know, what, what is that? And I'm, who, who brought Aaron here? Who, who put him in my life, right? Who, I don't complain about Aaron, but... I was going to make a joke about him and Taylor Swift, but <laughs> you've got to be pretty confident in your manliness to admit openly that you love Taylor Swift. So he's pretty confident. So, um, but, but so he's, he's helping them draw that, that, that line to, to this whole idea that when you complain against anyone, when you complain about, anybody complain about the government? Never. Who the Bible says, the Bible says, who puts those people in power? God does. Jesus explained this to Pilate, who is going to condemn him to death. He says, you're in your position of power because God's put you there. You know, and so we don't understand what God is doing most of the time, but we need to, we need to accept and realize that, that the, these, it's not these people that are the problem. Ultimately, the buck stops with God, and we need to trust him, even with the jerks he's put in our lives. And so, um, grumbling against us. So, what we need to do, next, next verse, verse 8, Moses also said, you'll know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he's heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And, and you know what? God wants you to bring your grumbles to him but with the right attitude. He wants you to bring your worries and your anxieties and your fears and your stresses and your complaints and your problems. He wants you to bring those to him because he can do something about them, but with the right attitude. He doesn't want you coming to him with this entitlement attitude and, and this, this idea of, you know, like suspicion of God, animosity toward God. God, how dare you? Like, God, what are you doing? This is, my life is miserable, and, and you're just doing nothing about it. What, you know, not that kind of thing, but to bring it to him with an attitude of trust. And to say, you know what, God, I don't know what's going on, and I don't know what you're doing, and I don't understand it, but please, God, I need your help. 
And God sets up with this manna program here a system where they absolutely have to trust God every day. And, and it would not be a comfortable system. In fact, uh, just to, to um, kind of illustrate what it's like, um, and I think the benefit of, there is a benefit in, in not, in having to trust God all the time. Um, recently, um, I was driving along, I think with Daniel in the car, and then we heard this ding, and um, a piece of metal flew out from the car. And I thought, well, that's not good. So I pulled over and I grabbed the piece of metal so I could take a picture of it and send it to my mechanic and say, hey, what's this? Is it important? <laughs> and he said, yes, that's part of your coil, like near the tire. What's that called? Shock coil? It's like a ring, like this, metal. Yeah, so that broke off. And uh, then I foolishly went to Binghamton and back. And then it was making really bad noises, so, so I couldn't drive it anymore. But so he said, you know, to fix that and everything else that's wrong with it now that you drove it, um, it's going to be over $800. I'm like, well, uh, you know, let's, let's do it. And so we had to wait, though, to order the parts and all of that. He says, I can't find the parts normally, so i got to go to a dealership, which is why it's going to be a little bit more expensive. And, and so he, he had it for had two weeks. It seemed like a long time. Like we couldn't drive the car. So um, 800 some dollars. Then he calls me back and says, you know what? I found them online. I don't have to go through the dealership. It'll be $300 less. That's a miracle, first of all, that he, you know, the honest mechanic, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, who didn't just like, oh, $300 less. Yes. <laughs> you know, and so then, and then, and, and it was, but I was asked to do a funeral and I did the funeral and and um, that Sunday after the funeral, the, the individual came up to me and, and he said, here's, here's $200. Thank you for doing that. And so that's, you know, so now, now it's down to, you know, what, $500? Now it's down to $300 bill. But here's the thing. It, it wasn't. It, you know, it should have been this, oh, God is providing. What a good God. But it wasn't like that at all. You know Why? I had the 800 bucks to begin with. I didn't need God to provide. Because he'd already provided in the past. And I'm not telling you to take a vow of poverty and give everything away. And I'd strongly encourage Financial Peace University by, you know, Dave Ramsey. And one of the first baby steps is save $1,000 for emergencies. Because almost everything costs $1,000 these days. Unless you have an honest mechanic, you know. Um, but... Because, and, and this is where I think Jesus is getting at something when he says it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because the rich think they're fine. The rich don't need, they don't think they need to trust and rely on God. But God uses fear in our lives to strip that illusion all away. The illusion that I don't need help. The illusion that I'm okay all by myself. And, and what we need to move to, so, so we, we often think that our problem is we don't have enough faith, right? Boy, God, give me more faith. That is not our problem. Our problem is not that we don't have enough faith. Our problem is we put our faith in the wrong things. And, and I see this all the time in the news and with people I'm talking to. People have faith in craziness. 
people have faith in UFOs. They have faith in, in politicians. They have faith in government. They have faith in all sorts of things that are just crazy. Right? And so here's, what, here's the first point this morning. Is we need to quit worrying by moving from the what-ifs to the God-wills. Right? You quit putting our faith in what-if. That's where fear lives. Like, well, what if this happens? Well, what if I get sick? And what if that happens? And what if that happens? Here's something to do with your what-ifs and, and putting your faith in the God that will. Play your what-ifs out. Use, use this, the, the question, and then what? So, so the what-ifs, like, what if this test I'm going in for, what if it comes back and it's cancer? What if? Well, then what? Well, then I have cancer. Well, then what? Well, then I'm going to be sick. Well, then what? Well, I might even die. And then what? I guess I'll be in heaven. Okay. So you're afraid of being sick. That's totally, you know, you're not afraid of heaven, right? Or, or you know what? I, I, I'm afraid for my child that, that the direction they're going and the decisions they're making. Okay, and then what? Well, I'm afraid that maybe they'll start doing drugs. And then what? And then they'll become an addict. And then what? Well, maybe they'll die of an overdose. And then what? And then I'll be alone. And then I'll feel like I was a complete failure as a dad or a mom. And then I don't know how I could live with myself. That, that's what you're really fearing. Get to what you're really fearing and say, can I trust God with my child's life? I can trust him with my life. Can I trust him with my child's life? Can I trust God with my loneliness? Can I trust God with my you know, self-confidence in who I am as a parent? You realize that God was the perfect parent and his kids haven't been turning out so well. <laughs> You know, we have to move from the what if to the God will. And God will be near. The next verse that, that's here is verse 10. It says, um, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. God is near. He was with them. This is one of the promises that he says more than almost any other in Scripture. I will be with you even to the end of the earth. Emmanuel, God is with us. And, and Israel, as they go through there, they're starving. They're in a desert. There's no food. God's there. You're going through something difficult. Um, there's a man in our small, my small group a couple weeks ago. He said, you know what? You know, we, our mission as a church is more and better disciples, right? And so he said, that, I, I said, what has helped you men? become a better disciple? What, what does God use to help you become a better disciple? And he said, number one thing that's helped me more than anything to become a better disciple was when I got a divorce and my wife left me and cheated on me for someone else. Because I realized through that process that was so painful I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. He says, through that process I realized what a jerk I was. And God got a hold of my heart. And it took several years of incredible pain. But I realized that God was near and God was in my divorce. Even though I didn't want it, 
and fought it. And I'm not saying divorce is good, but God uses everything. Even people starving in a desert. And we can trust in the God who will be near us and will be with us. He's not on some journey. He's not like off somewhere, not paying attention. And oh, I forgot all about Av. Oh, oh well, it's too late now. No, it's not like that. And so the, the story goes on. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, he's there. Verse 13 it says, that evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there is a layer of dew on the, around the camp. And then the next verse, 14, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. The word for what in ancient Hebrew is man. And so they called it manna. What a, what a. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord it says, has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. An omer, we don't really know what an omer is, but it's probably about three pounds or two quarts. That's a lot of food. How many of you eat more? I won't ask that. More than three pounds a day. That's great. This is what the Lord has commanded. Yeah, get that omer. And so the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, good old omer, the one who gathered much didn't have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And so, because they, they, God was there in that situation. And here's the next really important point. When you're faced with your fears, you need to recognize that God is in control and he can be trusted. He's in control even if your child dies. He's in control even if you're diagnosed with cancer. He's in control, even if you're fired. He's in control, even if you don't know where your kid is right now and you haven't spoken to him in years. God is in control and can be trusted. Um, on Thursday, I went to a sentencing at Broome County Courthouse for a friend of mine, Jason. And his trial was over and there was two counts against him. He was exonerated of the bigger count, but he was convicted of the lesser charge. He's been in jail for a year already. He has two teenage children, a daughter who just went through major back surgery to correct a curvature of her spine, and a teenage son as well. And we're in that courthouse and waiting for his sentencing. There was about a dozen men being sentenced that day. And there were two women, one girlfriend of this guy, another a girlfriend of another guy. That was the only family or friends in that courthouse for those dozen men. Me and Joe and Joel and those two women. And so we're there and the judge eventually gets to his case before he did that, as we were in that courthouse, courtroom, before the proceedings started, I prayed with Joel and Joe. And here's what I prayed. I prayed, God, you say whatever the desires of our hearts are, we should ask. And so we're asking God that the year he's been in prison already would be enough, that he's learned, that he's a different man, that, that, that he will be released today, time served, I mean, his, his charge, well, I won't get into it. It's a long story. But 
is attempted, attempted possession of a firearm. And uh, it says, so he can be the dad he needs to be for his teenage kids. But we know, God, that you know more than we do. And that your goal for Jason's life is that he would become the best version of himself he could possibly be. That's what it means to be a better disciple. That's what it means to be like Jesus. If we are like Jesus, we are the best possible version of ourselves, right? We, are, we have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, you know, uh, self-control, courage, like all these things. That's what God wants to do. He, our goal, for my goal for my life is to be happy. That's not God's goal. This is why we don't understand why difficult things come into our lives because his, his goal for you isn't to be happy. His goal for you is to be great. Is to be like Jesus. Is to become an amazing man or woman of God. That's his goal. And we said, and if more time in prison will accomplish that goal better than his freedom, we pray that you, you put him in prison and the judge said, I'm surprised that the jury didn't convict you of the greater charge because you could be going away for a lot longer, but you got three more years in prison. And he's going off to state for three years at least. And I know it's not my life, and I know it would be harder to be him and to trust God in that situation, but I am absolutely certain that that is the best thing possible. Because God is a good God. The problem is we just don't understand how he works. Because he's so much smarter than we are. Do you understand how a dragonfly works? Can you build one? No. Especially one that's self-replicating and hunts flies? Are you kidding me? It's so complicated. And that was, that was like easy for God. He did that in like less than one day. He just spoke the word. We need to understand in our lives and what we fear that maybe is even happening right now and, and it seems to be closing in on us. God knows and he's right with you and he's in control. In fact, in, in World War II, um, British bomber pilots, the, the most or the second most dangerous job you could have had in World War II, highest rate of death. I mean, they, they just, they didn't last, you know, they had to fly a certain number of missions. Most of them never made it that many. But they found after the war that they had the, the lowest amount, the pilots, not the others in the plane, but the pilots had the lowest amount of PTSD. Like, this doesn't make any sense. They have the most dangerous job and the least post-traumatic stress syndrome. How is that? How is that possible? And it's because they figured out the pilots felt like they were in control. They had the stick. They were operating the pedals. They thought, were they in control? Absolutely not. They were fighter pilots, you know, of the enemy that were dive bombing them and flak coming up from the ground. And like, they weren't in control of the weather even. I mean, they were in control of nothing. But they felt like they were. And so they weren't afraid. There's two ways you can overcome fear in your life. Either you can delude yourself and lie to yourself that you're actually in control when you're really not. And good luck with that because 
eventually that, that, that's going to come crashing down and you're going to realize, no, I'm not in control. Or you can trust in a God who actually is in control and say, oh, this must be part of God's plan. So let's finish up this story. Verse 19, then Moses said to them, no one is going to keep any of it until morning, right? That's the rules. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning because it was full of, but it was full of maggots, began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And so this is, this is can you imagine? You can't save anything. You can't have anything in saving. If God doesn't come through for you tomorrow, you'll go hungry tomorrow. Talk about food insecurity. Like this was God's plan. He said, I got a great plan for the Israelites. It's called food insecurity. They will have to trust me every single day for the next thing they eat and for the next thing their kids eat. However, okay, next verse. Um, Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses because this is the only day you can save. And so he says, he said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow's to be a day of Sabbath rest. It's Saturday. You're not going to work. A holy day of Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake. Boil what you want to boil today on Friday. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. And so they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink or get maggots in it. God can be trusted. Every day they learned he can be trusted. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You'll not find any of it on the ground today, but of course... Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day of the Sabbath there will not be any. And what do they do? Next verse. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Of course. This is all I have to say about that. (sighs) Right? Have you ever thought you couldn't win with your kids, with your spouse, with your boss? God's in that position all the time. He we complain, and so he blesses us, and then we're so obsessed with the blessing, we ignore him. And then he takes that blessing away to get our attention, and we get mad at God. And he just can't win. If you want to overcome your fear, your anxiety, your worry, whatever you wrote down on this card, you need to realize God is in control, and he can be trusted, even with the bad stuff. Because he has a plan in it. And the the last thing, the last point, we have to move from what if to God will take care of today. he'll, He'll take care of today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Sufficient is the day for the trouble therein. That's King James. But, you know, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. And you don't have to worry about today because God is in control and he will take care of you and um, take care of today. Um, so get out your three by five card again, whatever's written on it. You need to write, um, the, my God will. So the, what, what's on your card is the, what if, so what if this happens? And then I, I, I want to encourage you to write on that card, the truth. So that's the worry. That's the fear. The what if. Um, what is the truth? My God will be with me through it. My God will um, bring all things together for the good of those that know God.
and love him and are called according to his purpose. My God will provide for me today. You know, Proverbs 38 through 9 is a great, great couple verses. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Uh, Solomon is saying the easiest path in life is one in which we have to depend on God every single day. And, and you can set yourself up financially to do that, or you can try to do that even without that financial setup. And it's much harder. But to recognize that I can trust God with today. I can trust God with the what ifs. Let's put our faith in the God who will and not in the God and not in things that might, might happen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I just, uh, I just thank you that you are the God who, uh, who sees and who's near us. And Lord, I, I know there's people here that are struggling with huge fears and some of them are debilitating and it just, it just hits them every minute and every hour, a fear for this, a fear for that. And Lord, I just ask that they wouldn't go away feeling more guilty, but that they'd go away encouraged that, that uh, we can't change those emotions, but we can trust you in them. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray.